0: At a time of deep division in today's society, we must come together for humanity's sake. On Can We Talk 360, we strive to stimulate an authentic conversation on issues that affect all of us in an environment of tolerance. I'm Eugene Pettis, attorney and community servant. Tune into our discussion to foster a greater awareness of yourself and others. Let's discover how there is strength in our differences and an abundance of possibilities when we stand together as one humanity. Welcome to Can We Talk 360. Today, I'm excited to have with us Dr. Thelma Tinney. I met Dr. Tinney uh, over the past few years, and uh, I'm happy that she's agreed to come on as a guest on Can We Talk 360. Dr. Tinney is a licensed marriage and family uh, therapist. Uh, she's a certified clinical sexologist. Uh, we're gonna get more understanding of that. I remember I first met her. I asked her to tell me what you do as a sexologist and she shared it with me. And she's gonna share it with you all the listeners. Uh, she is uh, in, She's had a successful uh, private practice here in uh, South Florida. Uh, with Dr. Tinney and Associates, LLC. She also founded in 2015, a 501c3, a not-for-profit entity, uh, Healing Arts Institute of South Florida, uh, International Inc., where she supervises and mentors, masters and PhD level uh, therapists. Uh, she's going to tell us more about that particular uh, undertaking And I think you're gonna find this to be of uh, great insight, uh, both from her experience as well as her training. Uh, Hello, how are you doing, Dr. Tini?
1: I am well, thank you for having me, Eugene, thank you.
0: Thank you for for coming. Let's get uh, one thing uh, uh, on the table. Tell us, educate us on what is a certified clinical sexologist.
1: Okay, great question. So what a clinical sexologist does is basically help individuals grow sexually, identify sexual goals. So I offer education, resources, and tools to help individuals and couples, again, manage their own sexual desire and growth and come together as a couple. That's the fun part of my job. the difficult part of my job of course is providing trauma therapy for children and adults who have sustained some type of sexual trauma helping them to move past those sexual um, traumas
0: i see that you have uh had the privilege of speaking uh around the world you 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 you've had a number of occasions uh in uh normal university in Beijing, China. Uh, You've spoken at the uh, National Sex Conference in Munich, Germany uh, on polymorous system. Uh, What is the polymorous system? Uh,
1: The polyamorous systems?
0: Polyamorous, okay, thank you for correcting me. Polyamorous, What, what is that?
1: Poly- polyamory is the um, practice of, I guess, non-monogamy. So it's different from swinging. It would be similar to a couple, I would say the closest definition would be if you look at, um, I, I don't wanna say, Um, polygamy because it's not that it's not something that's illegal but it's it could be where there may be two wives or two women in the household with one man or vice versa so there is mutual structure there are rules and boundaries just like in a regular relationship it's just a, a triad or more than two in in this common household.
0: Is that more prevalent in other countries or is that something you see growing in the United States?
1: Both. It's more common in other places, in other countries where you will see that a husband can possibly have as many wives as he can afford. That is the most common way we see it outside of the country. However, we are seeing it more inside of the country where we have individuals who openly go into a relationship where they are okay with the dynamic of sharing um a spouse and it the, his his name is skipping my mind but there have been um there's a comedian who came out and he shares he has um two two girlfriends um and they live in the same household and um, it's not an uncommon practice. It is one that is still taboo here in the United States. So a lot of couples don't really feel comfortable sharing it. But I see it in the clinical sexologists. Yes, we see it a lot with couples.
0: It's interesting to see that growth. What what do you see? Um, you know, I grew up born in 1960. There have been so many developments in marital relationships uh, over that period of time. Uh, what are the trends that you're seeing, uh, both from your study as well as your practice, of how the traditional marriage is being impact in this 21st century?
1: The biggest, I would say, is financial. Um, households having to struggle with um, finances and being able to come in uh, to incomes, not being enough um for um the masses and additionally i would say just pressure being put on that that couple the the nuclear couple to keep up with the joneses if you will or live up to this fictitious thing that social media has pre- is presenting to the world to Right, so it's no longer keeping up with the Joneses; it's keeping up with social media.
0: All your hundreds and hundreds of "quote unquote" friends. Um, yes. You know, we've <laughs> redefined what a friend is. Uh, it's not what it what it used to be. Um, when you have that type of pressure, financial pressure, uh, how do you counsel individuals to deal with that challenge, uh, but to do it in a way that sustains the relationship. So often money is one of the top few uh, reasons for divorces. Uh, how do you deal with the realities of financial stresses in life uh, and in marriages, but still keep a healthy relationship?
1: So, the first way is on a very basic level. I work with the couple with getting a budget together so they know what their resources are, where they're coming from, and where they're spending. I also work with financial advisors who I refer the clients out to, where that's out of my area of expertise. And then once they have that solid plan with that financial advisor, then I'm able to come back in and I work with the couple to see. Right. What are some of the roles? So we might have to go outside of the gender role and see who is more responsible, who 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 should be handling the finances and helping that person who may not be as strong as finances to relinquish that goal or task, as you will, over to the other person who's good at management without resentment, with just understanding that this is something that's necessary to help us survive, again, together or individually, and to not put us in harm's way or continue to put us in harm's way.
0: The uh, what about the dynamic? uh, And I think you're seeing it more and more in society. It used to be the male was very likely to be the breadwinner. In many instances, the sole breadwinner back in the days of my parents and beyond. uh, nowadays, we have so many uh, uh, professional women in the workplace. To their salaries are sometimes higher than the husband's salaries. How has that impacted uh, marriages from your perspective?
1: That has harmed um, marriages tremendously, unfortunately. Um, where again, there we are coming away from gender roles where if that is an expectation. So we have to, not all of us, but some of us unlearn a lot of the things that we have been taught in the past. And it is difficult for a man to, some men to be in a position where they are not, again, as you said, the the primary breadwinner in a family. And how do you concede, if you will, um, it takes a lot it takes a lot of therapy. it takes a lot of open and honesty working with a professional to get past this thing that doesn't have to be a barrier. it just is what it is and to help the couple to understand that this is a this is a great thing, right and how does how do how do we navigate this with less pressure and not building again those resentments that can be built from a husband who, feels like, or is in a situation where the wife makes more money than him. And it's more common than you think. I can think of three couples that I'm seeing now where the wife does make more than the husband and it has become a financial situation or power struggle in the relationship that they are working to move past.
0: The... Somehow in society, I, I you know, I, I think men are taught to be the head of the household, quote unquote, uh, which brings certain expectations, such as the breadwinner. And it seems from reading that when men are not the lead breadwinner to the home, they feel less than. And, you know, have you, am I off base or is that some of the dynamics that you see when you have this phenomenon of the woman having a job that pays more than the man?
1: Yes, that is a lot of the phenomenon. And it's working with that couple where we get rid of those social norms because just because it's the norm, it doesn't mean that it's for everyone. So there are no absolutes. So working with the wife to not be little, uh, working with the husband to not feel less than, and also working with the couple to see, okay, so this may not be ideally what we thought we were going to walk into, but if the husband is not providing in one area, we look at his strengths in other areas and help him to build on those strengths so there is... Equality
0: in the relationship. The there's been a continuous decline in numbers of people that are getting married. You know, there's a lot more cohabitation uh, uh, going on that people live together happily and successfully with no interest in getting married, have kids, do all the things, but are not married. Uh, have there been any what are the challenges that you're seeing in 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 that um, uh, advancement of relate you know relationships, but they don't go to the marriage stage?
1: That is a great question. And so I co-wrote um I, I I used to do a lot of premarital counseling, right? As you said, I don't do as much because they are not people are not marrying. Um, so I pre I co-authored a premarital workbook. <clears throat> and that was a struggle to sell that premarital workbook because you see so many couples who need it and they like just because the word marriage is there, right? So they rejected that book. And how I have worked to combat that is now I just have a relationship business plan. So, with this relationship business plan, it takes the word marriage out of it. It's 99% the same questions, all of the same work that a couple needs to do before they marry. And now it's just a relationship book where the masses are, are, are open to get this relationship book and answer the questions, right? Go through the questions first, getting to know themselves right? Because we know when we enter into a relationship and we're not whole, we look for that other person to make us whole and we know that's the setup for failure. So one, getting to know themselves and then sharing that information with this new person to see if this person is okay with all of the things that your dreams and hopes and desires and having to do the hard work to make it work, to do the compromises if this is the person you choose to live with to be your life partner. And the hardest thing, Eugene, is having couples to say, I'm here, you're here, we are just not compatible. How do we now just mutually walk away from each other even before we move in with each other? All of the things that couples commit to without fully knowing themselves, being honest and transparent, and sharing that with someone else, and allowing that person to do the same thing with them.
0: One of the interesting developments in 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 our society is online dating. Uh, you know, you used to meet people at church or meet people at the club or mm-hmm. wherever else you <laughs> meet them. Uh, it's it's been a while, but now people are online and and uh, uh, it seems scary to me uh, because there's so many occasions where somebody could give a false persona of who they really are. Uh, but are you? What are you seeing in that space of relationships uh, originating from online connections and advancing into uh, wholesome, healthy relationships?
1: I am seeing that. I I have couples that I've seen that su- have successfully met online and married and are in okay relationships. <laughs> and I have the, as you said, the professional women. I have a lot of high profile professional women who are looking online for quality people. <clears throat> and um, there are the horror stories where, people are misleading them and male and female. And so that is a great struggle, how to get good people together to meet each other. Um, I know we're both members and I promise this is a a shameless plug for them, but I sing praises to the Tower Club too, because where you can meet someone who is like-minded, a business person, um, great people. So just finding places where, if church isn't for you, if the club isn't for you, I do a lot of work with couples and just trying to find places close to their area where they can meet someone in person and have that face-to-face contact. Because, as you stated, when you are online, it is it, it's hard enough to meet someone in person and not be misled by someone who's not going to be truthful. And then when you look at this online dating. It, it just makes it easier for individuals to be misled. And I, I see that more than often. I would say successful relationships that I've come across and seen that have been healthy and honest would be at about 5% and the other 95% are not so well.
0: The uh, it, it, It's interesting because I think there's also some ge- generational considerations yeah. when you look at the success, when you look at Younger people, some studies that I've read, younger people and how they deal with online, and older couples. It's just different stages of life. maybe it may be no more than that. It's just you know, the seriousness at a later mature age may be different than the seriousness uh, when people are just uh, trying to get a relationship for some personal uh, satisfaction., uh, but I've seen the dynamics mm-hmm. and studies show a difference between age. Of of online dating, uh, let me ask you about um, the dynamics that you see uh, between same sex couples and opposite sex couples. Obviously, we have growing numbers of of you know with the legality of same sex marriages. Uh, there are a lot of I, I have friends that are same sex uh, marriages of, of 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 both sexes, if you will. Um, and obviously the more traditional opposite-sex marriage. What do you see by way of the challenges that are, first of all, unique to those two groups of individuals? And then I want you to talk about what the commonalities are, uh, that they may be different in the structure, but the challenges and the issues, are there any different?
1: I haven't experienced any different challenges um, in same-sex couples throughout um, my career in therapy. Again, as you say, family members and friends who are of same-sex marriages. If anything, there is more cohes- more cohesiveness in, in their relationships um, because men truly think different than women. Right
0: and and vice versa. That was going to so, be my next question about, but we're going to come. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole podcast in and of itself. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> so so yes, I I don't see any different problems, right? Other than the occasional someone's wearing my clothes type thing, right? That's probably one thing. But again, you get that in same sex. I mean, different sex marriages too, right? <laughs> I'm, I stay in my husband's closet, so I don't think that there are any unique challenges the number one challenge remains to be lack of communication lack of knowing yourself fear of sharing your your wants and desires um and again not allowing someone to be themselves and trying to force someone to fit into some box that you've created for what you think you want your spouse or your life to be but between same sex, all all the problems are, are still the same, financial, sex, and lack of communication.
0: One of the, um, uh, you're saying the differences between men and women, males <laughs> and females, that men are from Mars and women are from <laughs> Venus or vice versa. However many decades ago, that was brought out. Um, uh, The emotional structure between, you know, women and men and how we perceive the exact same uh, uh, situation so differently. It, It makes me think of, you know, from time to time you have automobile accidents and you got five people that saw the accident and it's amazing how different their recount of what happened. You were looking at the exact same accident uh, and it's totally different stories of who they saw at fault, etc. cetera. Uh, you hear that sometime uh, in relationships, something is said and how it's taken is totally different depending on on what I say is the emotional base. Explain that to us. How, how is it that men and women sometime are different, or maybe all the time are different.
1: <laughs> yeah. It it comes from, as you say, all of those core beliefs that are ingrained in us as children that we don't even know, that we get from TV, from watching the Cosby show and all of these shows. And right, what what is it that we we built this perception of what we want and what we desire? And then we put people in these boxes without even telling them where we don't even know we've put them in a the box because a lot of times we don't even know where these stories come from and it's not until you get into therapy and figure out why things aren't working and we start deconstructing stories and then rebuilding and re-narrowing stories to fit where you truly are where your partner is where your spouse is so as one one gender may be more emotional than than the other, again, there are always exceptions to the rule. Where the problem comes in is when we think that the other person or the other gender should feel or think like us, and we're not open to acceptance of, right? I, I get it that you feel or you view this way and you may be a little bit or lack of emotion, truly accepting that, and I I say that very loosely because people say, oh yeah, I know, I accept it, but they really don't. They're still underlining and hoping that the opposite sex will be more like them or be willing to change or think like them. So it is really a lot of hard work and a process to teach a couple how to accept their partner and you the know, differences
0: one of the interesting things in in relationships and I'd be interested in your your take on this is let's say the couple has done everything and, and gotten your workbook and worked through each and every uh chapter of the workbook and we are a mate we we're we're made for each other um how do couples What do couples do to deal with the growth that occurs from the date of the marriage until eternity, hopefully? How how do you handle that? The person you marry may not be the exact, he or she may grow, and, and, and that has a different dynamic. How do couples, how can we keep check on that to make sure that there's, growth parallel may not be on the same track, but you're still going in the same direction as opposed to one person growing and another person staying where you found them 10 years ago, 20 years ago.
1: I think that that goes directly to what we were just discussing about acceptance. So when you come into a relationship, you may have a lot of plans and goals and ambitions and again, just plans of what you think you're going to want. And then life happens. So that acceptance of your partner's growth, right? Um, When my husband and I met, it was like, look, I'm going to retire in five years and you're going to retire with me too. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. But Eugene, you know what, (laughs) all, all the ventures I've started in five years. And it's difficult it's difficult for him to see okay well maybe that 5 year thing is not going to happen and we have to current we have to constantly renegotiate right so this is where i see myself going because i want this phd program and how can i do that and how can he be okay with it and it truly is a compromise because we don't see eye to eye a lot on my ambition or my thought of a lack of ambition for him right he's he's been he's been at the same job for 30 something years and he's content and i don't understand that eugene right and the problem is different, different mindsets and i would have a problem if i spent all of my days trying to think like him trying to understand him I have to accept that I don't understand him. I don't understand his mindset. Um, We speak different languages in that part, and that's okay. As long as he is okay, and as long as our household is okay, then it's okay. A lot of times, couples make problems where there doesn't have to be a problem, right? So there is nothing wrong with me being ambitious and being an entrepreneur, and there's nothing wrong with him being at his current position for 35 years, right? So we have to see value in each other's differences as long as it it keeps our household where we need to be financially.
0: And um, you you touched a little earlier, Dr. Tinney, on what I'm gonna call some pillars of a relationship. You talked about communication, knowing yourself, uh, fear of sharing, and uh wants and desires. Ooh. Talk to us about uh talk to us about communication. We all hear it, we all know it. How do we deal with a healthy communication in our relationships? How do we create it?
1: Healthy communication is first stepping back and having a conversation with yourself. So I'll be the first one to tell you, you are not crazy. If you talk to yourself, you have to talk to yourself. You have to discover what are your wants, what are your goals, what are your dreams. And then once you've established that, again, as you said, knowing that this may change with evolution, what you want today may not be what you want tomorrow. And how do you share that with someone? You just do. So we, we have to pull out the fear and the stops of, if I share this with someone, they're going to leave me or they're going to walk away. And know that if you are being honest and being your true authentic self and you share that with someone, we have to learn how to be okay with that person walking away from us. And that person may become a great friend, a business partner, a colleague, who knows? but that may not be the person that we're set to be a life partner with. And what I see so many times and why people aren't getting married and why people are getting more divorced so rapidly is because they haven't stopped to know themselves, do the work to know themselves. And then if they did do that work, Eugene, only half share it with who they want to share their life with, because they're afraid that when they find this out, they're going to walk away. And guess what? They do, right? And it's 10, five years down the road, and now you have a broken home or broken marriage. And again, if you would have been open and transparent within that first quarter, yes, you probably would not have gotten married, but you would have not wasted so much time, right? That's what I hear couples say all the time. For seven, I wasted seven. I couldn't imagine wasting 17 minutes, Eugene, let alone couples wasting 17 years, 20 years of their lives just not being happy because they didn't feel empowered enough to stand up for themselves in the beginning of a relationship and be honest and communicate what their true, authentic self was.
0: If you have someone that's able to do that and be authentic at the beginning of the relationship, um, in, in in my mind's eye, listening to you, that's a smoother track. But what if you have someone that was not that authentic, um, or open and honest for whatever reason? I mean, there could be a you know countless reasons. Now you're five years in the relationship, ten years in the relationship, and now and and and. You know, relationships are like anything else. There's a settlement process where you're, 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 it's settled into the foundation that you're going to build upon. And now you start bringing some of your thoughts to bear that had not been discussed in the pre-marriage stage, hadn't been discussed in the five. Now you're talking about it for the first time in 10 uh, years. How do you handle that situation that maybe a number of people that didn't do it at the beginning, know it needs to be done, uh, but now we're into this and you're going to come out with some authentic discussions about your wants, your desires, your needs. Uh, uh, and it's going to be new to your partner. And, uh, you know, what are your recommendations of the people that want to do it but didn't do it at the beginning?
1: Just do it. Right. You, you You have to just do it. It is never too late. Right. If you find yourself walking down the wrong road and you know to get to where you wanna be is back there, right? you're gonna turn around and you're gonna walk that way. Or you're never gonna get to where you're trying to go. So those are your options. And I'm not saying that the relationship has to end. By no means. I have couples who have done exactly that, Eugene, been married for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they say, you know what? It's never been what it should have been. And we wanna get on track. And yes, you can get on track. Both have to be willing to do the work, right? So you can't have one person who's half in and half out. So if both are willing to do the work and the work is communicating, learning yourself, and that compromise and acceptance, so when that person brings value to your life, right, and you can see that value and that value may outshine this one thing that now you found out that they, I don't know, let's say they, <laughs> they're they not happy. They have a foot fetish, right? And you, you can't stand people to rub your feet, but this person is over here and they've been miserable because they couldn't touch your feet for 20 years, right? So- There there are things you can do, right? So that's where we get creative in therapy to see okay, well, this person really has this one and need that hasn't been filled. And how do we have this need filled?
0: What do you tell them to put a sock on and allow? I, <laughs> uh,
1: a, if, if if they agree, then yeah, that, that that's what it will be. Or right? How do you rub your own feet? So how do you self soothe? Because if you want to touch feet but you can't touch his, you have two feet right there.
0: <laughs> the the second pillar you 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 mentioned earlier is knowing yourself. <clears throat> tell us about that.
1: Knowing yourself is probably one of the the most difficult because it, it makes us stop looking at other people and truly have that conversation with ourselves. And I know a lot of us aren't comfortable with doing that. And how is that done? It's by, I would say the easiest, how I help my clients do that. So we talk about coping skills, right? What are process skills? What are um, calming skills? So they learn the different types of coping skills. And then we work through a list of what things make them happy. So when you find what makes you happy, and then you find a way to do that more often than not, that's that's the simplest way of learning yourself right? So do you like to read? Do you like to talk? Do you like to swim? Are you into sports? All the things that bring you joy, have a conversation and see how much of those things you need in your life. And can you do this by yourself? How much do you want to do with your friends? How much do you want to do with your partner? So those are the first steps in getting to know yourself. And as you do this, right, you're going to take notes, you're going to share it. and then. All of the things that we probably see people, we we can probably see other people's um, passions better than they can see it because they don't, right, they're they're they are not, they may not be as mindful. They just do stuff. And I say to people, well, I see you or I heard you doing this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess I do like cooking because <laughs> I'm always cooking. Right. right so, where where do you find yourself gravitating to, and then sharing those things? And um, again, one person may be an outdoors person, and that's very important to them. And someone might not want to go outside at all. And these these little teeny things cause such big problems in relationships. And it is just navigating. Well, how can we how can how can we incorporate? And it truly is. I don't give anybody a plan. Right. So I have to speak to each person, each couple, each individual in, in this couple and see what are OK with their compromises. So are we going to do this? Can we try that? Can we do that? And then you try it and you don't like it. And OK, that's fine. Let's come up with something else. So it's truly strategizing.
0: The uh, probably the, the, you know, knowing yourself should be something that you do before you get in the relationship. I, I guess ideally that would should be the first thing you do, uh, which should be a part of who you're looking for as your mate. You know, you you know, if you can deal with some of that beforehand, you may have better odds at finding someone who's compatible with you. But so Absolutely. often we, we don't, we haven't done the assessment you just went through. We, 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 we get married, we like them, they're beautiful, on and on. And then you get in the relationship, and you try to figure out what do I really want—an uh, honest assessment—and it's that's a little backwards. It probably should be uh, knowing thyself first, uh, and 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 that'll be a more smoother um, path. You talked about the fear of sharing, which is kind of intertwined with some of this. Uh, why is there a fear of sharing?
1: There is a fear of sharing because somewhere in our past we shared and we were shut down or we were shunned or we were made feel less than. So now this fear has set in where if I share this, this person won't want me, won't like me, won't want to be around me, won't think that I'm a good person. And chances are, possibly. And we, we have to build up this healthy skin, if you will, to be okay with, if I share my true authentic self, some people are going to walk away from me. And that's okay because those are not my people. But the right people, the person who is there for you, will hear your story, hear all of these things and say, okay, I love you beyond that. I love you past it. It's okay. And they you will be in a, a better relationship versus you not being able to share
0: that. You you mentioned wants and desires. Uh how are in and we're in the season, if you will, of Valentine's. That's when everybody, <clears throat> uh at least according to the national calendar, uh, reflects on relationships. It probably needs to be done 365, but we're in that season of February in uh uh Valentine's month. Once um, and desires, uh, how are couples to share that? Because that ties into, re, you know, uh, rejection. If fear of rejection, I would say, and if it's rejected, where do you go with that one in desire? Uh, how how are you to just suppress that one in desire, forget about it, even though it's something important to you. How do you manage, how do you tell your couples to manage that sharing of wants and desires? And what do you do when your desires are rejected? Do you just drop it and it's no longer your desire? Or is it still your desire? And what do you? how do you handle that?
1: So that is a great question. I'll give you some examples. So it could be something as basic as a desire to want to go out and play golf on the weekend with with the boys, right? So that's a want, that's a desire. And if your wife or your, your partner is like, no, you can't do that, you have to have that hard conversation with, okay, this is something that makes me happy. So I will, I will be doing it. And how do I, how do I make up for that time with you? Because you can't suppress your wants and desires living the life that someone else wants for you, you're not going to be happy. So it's that compromise to do the things within reason that you want to do. And then how do you make up for for that time with that person? There could be an example where, um, I don't know, sexually, there's a desire. I get that a lot. And it's something that the other partner said is absolutely off limits. No, I'm not going to do that. Then that may be one of the desires that you suppress. And we could talk about how that person can possibly get that desire met within the realm of still being faithful in that relationship. But how do we become okay with that? So every Cir- every circumstance every desire there's a different plan that can be customized with the with the couple with what's acceptable um i know porn is is one of the top top touchy subjects right if you watch that you cheated on me you've had an affair it's not acceptable and again we can't take away what someone else's, idea of belief or something is but we can always have a conversation about it and understand why they are passionate about it or not wanting it in their lives and then once we have that communication we gain a better understanding of where they're coming from and and that's that's where true compromise comes in eugene
0: the um one of the challenges I guess we have to relationships is is just kind of external forces, society. What impact does you know in, in your counseling uh, uh and and your education just societal pressures what societal pressures are being put on couples in in, in this this era of, of 20 21st century
1: too much eugene couples always come into me and one of them says they Right, they. And I'm like, who is the they? Because it's only you and your partner here. So, who are the theys? Right, they said this, the social media, this, so here, and we're supposed to be doing this. That is a very big problem that I work with couples to get the they out of the relationship because what are they doing for you? What benefits do they bring in your life? And how do you function? without the days. So once we remove all of these outside influences, couples are able to now come back and see, okay, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, feels or wants or believes I should do, right? And the days include parents, right? The boys, the girls, the cousins, everybody. We have to formulate again, responses, strategies for them to say to these outside days, this is our relationship and we need you to respect our space. We need you to respect our wants and needs and not feeling the pressure to live for the days. And and, and that is huge. That that is why most people come in because, right, so-and-so says I should be doing this or... And 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 they're trying to figure out how to do it when it's not their desire.
0: I'm not a social media uh, regular person. I mean, if somebody sends me something, I get in there and I sometimes forget my passwords to social media (laughs) uh, 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 platforms. But you you know you see in social media, you read about social media and how some people are putting so much about their lives out into the public space just totally different than we used to uh, expose ourselves uh, you have one partner who's really social medially in in, in engaged uh and every picture every place you go you you know they are putting it out there for whoever their their their, the their friends. Uh, <laughs> friends are and you have <laughs> someone else who's not like that you know just d- don't want to be exposed like that, uh, given this age of social media. Do you see any tensions of, of that type of conflict?
1: I do. I, I see the tension in why aren't you posting me or you need to post me, you didn't like my post, right? <laughs> so it's it's out there. And again, it's understandable. Um, there, there'll be the husband like you, Eugene, right, with just bare minimum because, right, the world, we want to have this access to be in the know and provide some information. And then you have the influencers who, right, you know what they ate, you know everything they do throughout the day. And again, it's not a problem until one person makes it a problem. And we just have to work harder to see that this is just another form of I don't even want to say it's an alternate reality and we have to understand that those are snapshots of of people's lives and again even as as if as much as you think you're getting of someone's life because they post five times a day that may be five minutes of their life of that day right and they're 24 hours in that day that you don't know what's going on so we have to keep perspective in place and help our young people to see that right you you're seeing a fraction of someone's day you don't know that person
0: is there anything in schools you know um that are that's teaching some of these skill sets these are you know we, we learn about math science, arithmetic, you know, uh, uh, reading, but relationships, you know, how, how, what is going on in the schools? Do you have any insight of how we can prepare people at a younger age to already be ingrained with some of the skill sets, for lack of a better description, that are needed for healthy relationships?
1: I don't see a lot of it. I hear talk about social emotional um, learning. So so that's one step in the right direction. Um, When when you and I Eugene went to school, there was citizenship class, right? And I don't see that anymore. Um, So we learned how to be a good friend, a good citizen, all of those things. And I don't know when or where that has come out of curriculum. I know that for children who have a IEP or some type of deficit, they, there are these things, right? My son has autism and he has a social skills class as part of his curriculum, but I know that's only because he has an IEP and the other children don't get that social skills class And you're absolutely right. They need that social skills class because he's learning how to listen to someone when they talk, show eye contact, be interest, how to say nice things, how to show empathy to others. So I believe it's on a very basic level. Does it need to be more core? Yes. Are some schools incorporating that on their own? Yes, definitely. We are actually at Healing Arts in the Baldwin Academy, and every child has therapy. Every child gets yoga. Every child gets mindfulness. And again, this isn't a public school. This is a, um, a private. No, um, that Baldwin is for the autism, autism program. Okay. <clears throat> this one is the Baldwin Academy. They're in Fort Lauderdale. Um, they're on our website if you're interested. They have a community garden. So these are marginalized African-American children in this school, but the principal saw the need that there was something emotionally missing. So she put that curriculum in herself. And I wish that every school would take that on um, because it does encourage a better atmosphere for learning. And it also encourages again, more citizenship and less stress these kids are very stressed out, right? Family members dying; they're afraid. They go outside; they're going to die. There's anxiety. There's so much going on, and we we need a curriculum in in every school.
0: The um, uh, one of the topics I want to touch upon before we wrap up, and it, it kind of I think you kind of touched on it just a second ago, is self esteem. You know self-esteem and its importance in a healthy relationship. Uh, Do you see that as being a core personal attribute that's needed for one to be a healthy partner, be in a healthy relationship, whether it is marriage, friendship, whatever relationship, colleague, to have self-esteem, be comfortable with yourself?
1: Definitely. If we aren't comfortable with ourselves, Eugene, then we don't think it's okay to say, you know what, I'll be gone for four hours. I'm I'm gonna go play this round of golf and then we'll have dinner, right? Because we feel like we don't, we're not worthy because someone told us, if you love me, you don't do this, right? If you're gonna do right, you don't do this. So we are taught from a very young age to not be ourselves to appease somebody else and it starts very young and we carry these messages out and throughout and again by no means does it mean I love you any less if I choose to go out and watch the football game with my friends but we're taught to manipulate right. So. As as humans, we have to understand we are great manipulators to get what we want, myself included. And we have to learn how to have empathy for others. And when we can have empathy for others, we'll have some empathy for ourselves. Because believe it or not, Eugene, it's easier to develop a skill for someone else than it is for yourself. So we first teach children how to right? Treat people how you want to be treated or have empathy and care for them. And then when they're able to do that, then we have to kind of shift that pendulum and say, now you know what that means. Now you need to do that for yourself.
0: Very interesting. Um, In your own words, tell us, we're again in the season of love, in the season of Valentine's, uh, uh where what would you give as the top five things that you would it, it, encourage couples to uh do to make sure they're in alignment with longevity uh, of the relationship uh give me give us some ideas and, and it may be things you've touched upon, but just to put them in a condensed message. Yes, so the first
1: is to, Figure out what are your desires, right? What are your hopes, dreams? What are the things that make you happy, right? So you need to figure out the things that make you happy. And then two on that list would be communicating those things. So now once you've communicated those things with your partner, you can come up with a plan as to how to include them in those things and or what's acceptable for you to have some me time. And with that me time, you have to incorporate some self-care. And your self-care can be with your partner, right? If you love massages, go get a couple's massage. If your partner doesn't want a stranger touching them, respect that. Go get your massage. And then how do you spend time together? So, That fine balance of what are the things we're gonna do together and what are the things that I'm gonna do on my own. And you must, you must Eugene, incorporate those things into your life on a daily basis, right? To some scale. So you may not get a massage every day, but what is it that you can do daily to take care of yourself? So many times husbands and wives come in where they tell me I can't take an hour to myself a day. That's not acceptable. My my husband, my wife is not going to go for that. How I cannot take an hour, right? My hour is my drive into work and coming back home. And we know that's not enough. So we put in healthy boundaries. And I would say that's probably number five, right? you 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 deserve an hour to yourself a day. Right. And again, men men may find that, right? You go in the bathroom and you shut the door, and that's probably your time. Right. How do we get away? And maybe with women with us, it's putting on the makeup, whatever it is that we do that we take that hour. But identify what that self-care routine looks like for you and communicate it and ask for respect from your partner. The
0: um and that's helpful. Dr. Tenney, I truly appreciate your time and your insight. It's good to see you from this perspective. I knew there was a lot to the sexology uh, practice that you had. Tell us where, you know, a couple, an individual hearing this, where can they go to seek your uh, service and what other resources are out there for couples that are facing these challenges and these growing spots uh, to seek some resource and help?
1: So the first place is to go to our website. Um, we have no cost mental health services for every family that has a child under 22 in that household. So there's really no excuse for you being able to, not for you not being able to come in and get some family therapy, some couples therapy. Um, and our website is Arts sflforsouthflorida.org. They can also look on my private practice page, and that's my first and last name, drthelmatinney.com. And they are the same on social media. So definitely reach out, and we will be able to direct you to resources. Um, If you are interested in the relationship books, they are available on Amazon, and there's also links on all of our social media. So it's Healing Arts Institute, SFL.org, and drthelmatinny.com.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving up your time and your expertise and insight.
1: You're welcome, Eugene. Anytime, I'm happy to be here on any topic you need. Okay. Great to see you. The law firm of Hallett, Petison & Schwamm is a proud sponsor of the Can We Talk 360 podcast. Our firm handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, catastrophic personal injury litigation, and workers' compensation matters. We pride ourselves in being advocates for justice on behalf of those who have been seriously injured. For decades, we've taken the lead in making your case our priority. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Hallitzer Pedersen Schwamm, serious injuries, proven results.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Can We Talk 360? I sincerely hope that you are inspired to seize this moment in time and take real action towards change. Remember, all change begins with a conversation. Be sure to tune in every month for more fascinating discussions and motivational food for the soul. Please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Can we Talk 360 and visit us on the web at www.CanWeTalk360.com.